number for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Welcome to SC Pro. Uh, I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode. Lots to talk about. My in-laws have descended upon us. They are uh, in the house as I sneak over here to record this episode. So uh, lots going on. Very interesting stuff. But first, I want to announce some dates. February 12th, Tom and I are doing your mom's house live at um, the Irvine Improv, February 12th, 27 to 27, 2017. So get your tickets now at thousandranch.com or tomsegura.com. Get your tickets. It's a big venue, but uh, we tend to sell out pretty quickly when we do YMH Live because we don't do it that often anymore. You know what I'm saying? Also, I've got some live stand-up dates, May 4th through 5th, Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live. May 19th through 20th, New York City at Gotham Comedy Club. June 16th through 17th, Man Friend Disco, Punchline Comedy Club. And then my Smurf Day is June 18th, so perfect. I'll be home just um, in time. Isn't that crazy how fast the year goes? Holy moly. Okay. Also, uh, holiday shopping. Please use my Amazon... Excuse me, I just had Korean barbecue. Uh, Amazon banner. And to do your shopping, just go to that's deep row podcast at gmail.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every blog post and do your shopping as you normally would. It just kicks back a little change to the show. And I greatly appreciate that. There you go. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, so let's get into it, guys. Let's go. Let's get deep. There you go, Ramones. Oh shit, I just lost my screen. Oh, I love the Ramones. That's a good song. The Ramones were so great because they were so um, simplistic. Like, 
oddly, I think, simple tunes, but, uh, but good, right? Solid shit. I don't, is there anyone that doesn't like Ramones? They're, uh, there's, I think there's like one of them still alive, which is, uh, horrible, but love it. Love it. Hi guys. Thank you for downloading this episode of That's Deep Bro. Um, as we speak, I'm in our studio. I've, I'm hiding out, uh, because the in-laws are here. I actually like them. I, I shouldn't even say that. I, I really enjoy their company. It's, it's, um, these are Tommy's parents and you know, top dog and Charo from your mom's house and they're, they're in our home now and they're playing with our son. And I just, um, I love it. I just love it, man. You know, I'm, I'm deliberately married into, um, a more stable, normal, <laughs> but what is normal? Yeah. I'll tell you what normal is. Normal is, are parents who don't have addictions, mental illness, um, uh, abusive tendencies. That's called normal guys. When all that stuff isn't there, that's normal. And I just, I love them. And I love, I love that they love our son and that they love Tom and that they're kind people. It's so fucking, you know, and the older I get, the more I realize how hard it is to just find functional people to be a friends with or be related to get your life on trying to be related to functional humans. That that's all that's damn near impossible. And that is luck in this lifetime. If you are just born into a cool family, um, but finding friends that's in your power, right? That's in your control. You can even marry into a better situation. And I've just adopted Tom's family as my own and I, I couldn't be happier and, Anyway, they're here. They're here because of Ellis's birthday. He turns one. He actually turned one yesterday, but the party is later, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's so crazy to think how much has changed in one year since I squirted a person out of my meow hole. Um, I think I've become a better person for for having a son. I think I, uh, I really am less me focused, which has been such a relief in my life. I think for the first 39 years of my life, it's just me, me, my neuroses. What can I, what about me? What am I going to do about me? Ooh. <laughs> and, um, cause I'm already neurotic. I'm all, I'm already in my head all the time. So, uh, Boo. So it would have been worse had I just kept going. I think that direction is what I'm trying to say. Having a child was a great relief for me emotionally. Simultaneously gave me more anxiety and then um, and was gigantic relief emotionally. The anxiety just because like I've never even, I never even held a baby before I had my son. And um, my mother died as I was pregnant. So, and not only that, not as though she would have been a great role model to begin with for me in terms of mothering. So I had a very negative role model as a mother and then having to, um, I'm having to learn how to be a mom, how to be a good mom rather. (laughs) Anybody can be a shitty mom. That's very, very easy. And nothing makes me crazier when my therapist says like, well, you know, your parents did the best that they could. No, they didn't. No, they really fucking didn't. And I think, I think a lot of them, a lot of, a lot of people don't do the best that they can in life, period. I think people do what's comfortable. I think people do what is easy most of the time and what feels familiar. And those things are not necessarily good. And I'm not, you know, and I struggle with 
uh, perfectionism. That's a huge problem of mine. I, I try to be perfect at stuff and that's a huge source of anxiety for me is cause that's never going to happen. And, uh, I struggle with control and, and all that. Uh, but, um, but God damn it, at least I'm trying, you know what I'm saying? You feel me? I'm talking about at least I am fucking trying. Um, so I wanted to talk briefly. There's a couple of topics floating in my head. My husband um, suggested I talk about aging a little. I think that's a great idea, Um, particularly because I am officially, uh, you know, I guess considered over the hill. You know, you get those birthday cards when you turn 40. At least it was big in the 80s, like over the hill, (laughs) one foot in the grave, you're 40. And I, I don't even see 40 now as being that old. And I think when I was 20, I thought, holy shit, I'm not even going to live to 40. I really thought I would be dead before 40. I just thought that that was so fucking old. And then you get to 40 and you're like, yeah, I feel it. Like I feel older. I don't, I feel like I've gotten maybe another good 30 years in me realistically. Um, but here's the deal. I, I, uh, I think that our Western society or consumer society it's really down to consumerism and money that they make you feel this this, not they they being uh um not the media that's even too general but the machine of of consumerism and having to commodify every aspect of life i mean dear god when you have a kid you learn that there's a whole industry uh just catering to what you can buy to make your new baby happy, perfect, smarter, prettier, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole line of toys, baby Einstein toys, catering to uh, making your kid a genius, which by the way, man, I don't give a shit. My kid does not have to be a genius. Uh, Tom and I are far from genius. Uh, as long as he just a C average, that's all I'm hoping to just a C average and maybe getting into a private college. That's, that's all I ask for. Um, the point being that these the various industries make a lot of money off of making us feel like shit about being human. So let's not forget that. If some of you listening, you might be in your 30s and you're freaking out. You might be in your 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. I don't know. But it's their job. They don't have a job. The makeup industry, the skin creams, the, uh, the car industry, all these consumer places, facets, whatever, that they have to make you feel like shit about where you're at to sell you something to make it better for you, right? They make the problem and then they solve the problem. Um, and and with aging, especially with women, Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I remember the, was it Oil of Olay? Uh, I don't... I don't intend to grow old gracefully. I intend to fight it every step of the way, which is... Um, I think you should fight atrophy in your body for sure. Like I've taken up exercise, as you know, I've been bitching about Pilates for the last month and change, but that's really, it, it is cosmetic. Yeah. Just cause like I got, you know, after I had a baby, I got soggy mom tits and I got a, a big soggy belly and I would like to, you know, get it a little high and tight for my husband. Cause that poor guy has to fuck me. Um, and for myself, obviously, it's it's not a joy to look in the mirror your whole existence. I don't think there's a time I've ever, maybe when I was like 20 and I weighed like 117 and I was like, you know, sickly, like, oh, that looks good. Uh, but, you know, I want to get to a point where I, I don't laugh when I look in the mirror naked. Um, but, 
but yeah, there should be a level of maintenance for your health and whatever. But uh, to to be made to feel like shit just because you're an age is is pretty preposterous. Um, yeah, and there's no reason that that's another programmed decision of the Western world that you should you should feel like shit about getting older, and that's just not true. It, it's so patently false. And I, first of all, the coolest people I know are over thirty. Actually. The coolest, coolest people that I've loved, admired, wanted to be friends with, like public figures anyways. I don't know these people in real life, but as you know, I love Kim Deal. She's older than me. I love, uh, I think Patti Smith would be a cool fucking hang. Anthony Bourdain, uh, one of my favorite public grumpy, curmudgeon older people. I just love, I love it. I love it. I don't, I don't, there's not many um, 19 year old internet stars that I go, yep, they got it. They get it. So there is something cool and aging. It's not all, uh, it's not all, you know, pissing your pants and, um, and, um, and eating dog food out of cans and complaining about, um, atrophy. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like being this age more than I've liked it like liked myself in the past and there's a certain peace that comes with with being 40 there's a certain level of like um of calming the fuck down where like i i know myself well enough now that i can i can see myself going off the cliff on certain things or i can see myself spinning i can see myself getting out of control or overthinking or trying to please other people or making other people miserable around me. And I, like, I see it as it's happening. I'm able to step outside of myself now a bit more and go, oh yeah, that's, I just do that. That's the thing that I do. And I'm not gonna, I'm trying not to do that today. I'm going to try to rein that in for the sake of people around me. And that's another thing you get, I think with age is the people around me. Um, and that's normal in your twenties and and part of your thirties to make it about me. Cause you have to, you have to develop a sense of who you are and this and that. And then and then you go like, oh yeah, it's, this is this whole thing is not about me, and that's a tremendous relief because I'm exhausting. I am just exhausting. Whew. <laughs> so I've been reading this week about behavioral cognitive therapy. Behavioral cognitive. Oh, listen, that's my Louise a evening meditation. Oh, why won't this thing stop? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I, I listen to morning and evening meditation sometimes with Louise Hay. I couldn't fall asleep the other night because I worked out and I was so fucking jacked. Um, but let me find this behavioral cognitive therapy book. Um, for those of you who know me, I do uh, psychotherapy. I go to psychotherapy every week and it's been the only thing that's just saved my life, but not the only thing, big thing. I do therapy. And then I, I work out twice a week. I meditate. 
And what else? I have a whole regime. And I learned this from Graham Elwood, who was on an episode of That's Deep Bro ages ago about surfing and Zen. Um, because he told me that he has this whole thing that he has to do every day to kind of keep it together. You know, he wakes up five or six in the morning, medita- no, surfs, meditates, you know, you have your whole regime. And I had a boss growing up, growing up when I was in my twenties who went to church every morning before work. And I thought, why do these old motherfuckers, why do they have to do this crazy stuff? Why are you doing this? And I, for many years, I kind of poo-pooed the church or any sort of organized religion um, for obvious reasons. I mean, look, uh, I am Catholic by birth, tradition, whatever. And the Catholic church has done horrendous things, you know, the, uh, pedophilia stuff, not so great. Um, not allowing women to be priests. Okay. Kind of weird. Uh, you know, condemning homosexuality, abortion, all these things are, um, I, you know, Hey, I'm a lefty. I'm a liberal. I don't really agree with them politically, but, but I will say that I'm not as furious about organized religion as I used to be. You know, I was, when I was younger, like you go, oh, it's the opiate of the masses and they're controlling. And yeah, to some extent, yeah, yes, of course. Um, Keeps people in line, keeps you from doing, hopefully, um, dumb things in your life, like cheating on your spouse or, you know, killing your neighbor, stealing stuff, not good. All these things we know are not good. And uh, the church helps you keep that straight and narrow. They do it through fear, fear motivation, which I'm, I'm a largely fear motivated person. Um, and it kind of works right. And in poorer countries where maybe they don't have a lot of access to education and ideas and things like that. Yeah. Keeps them in line. Great works. But there's also a component that I, I don't personally go to church, but I, um, I get it. I get it. I get it that it's a place to go for an hour a week or actually if you're Catholic for like an hour and change. And and you go and you go into a sacred place that is not tainted by all the crap that we deal with on a continual basis, right? You go into a church or a temple or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever, and there's no iPhones, hopefully. There's no billboards. There's no... Um, the, the pace of life is what it was for human beings hundreds of years ago. It was quiet. It's quieter. And, uh, and that's so important. My God, to shut, to shut your brain down and to actually, uh, be quiet enough to feel just the vibration of the world, the vibration of being, which is different than the vibration of doing and to sit there and, you know, let you let your spirit be taken somewhere that normally it doesn't get to go. I think that's why people do it, right? To 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 check up, to give yourself a spiritual check in, check up, and then um, and then you go into the world kind of clean that way. You go into the world set right. You get you go into the world recalibrated instead of which is what, what a lot of people do and what I do a lot. You know, you wake up. And the motor starts running. Like, I'm hysterical. I'm hysterical from the time you get up, you go get the kid, you got to make the bottle, and then I got to go drink the coffee, and then we got to make the thing, and then the kid's got to go down for the nap, and then we got to go out in the world and got to do the thing. And it's a million things. And none of them I'm doing consciously. I'm not, none of those things I'm doing from a place of a focused, peaceful intention. And uh, unless I meditate, that's, that's what you got to do. Wake up 
get in alignment and then go out in the world and make decisions and talk to people <laughs> and write the email, right? That's a, that's a big one that I've talked about on this show is, you know, it's funny, I, people with social media, you know, the reason we post pictures of ourselves over and over again is to get likes, to get validated. Feels good when other people give us a thumbs up. Oh, look how many likes I have. Look how many people are giving me the thumbs up, right? And, um, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing to get likes and to get approval. That's not a bad thing. But I do know that there are times in the past where you're like, well, I don't, I don't feel so good about myself today. Maybe I should post a picture of myself and, um, and then look for the approval from that. Meaning, you know, it's not like, hey, I'm having a bitching day. I'm going to put this picture of myself up and then let's, let's keep the bitching wave rolling. It's more like I feel like shit. I don't like what's going on with me today, but let me put a picture out there in the world and then maybe other people will raise raise me up, right? Maybe I can glean some energy from that external source. And and that's really kind of dangerous, isn't it? Because then you're basing your whole validation on the amount of likes you get. And maybe you don't get enough likes. And now it's, wait a minute, why, why aren't I getting enough likes? Nobody likes me anymore. That external validation thing. So I was reading about behavioral cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy or behavioral cognitive fucking shit therapy. Um, Because I'm so fascinated, the human, my cognitive behavioral therapy, Um, fascinated, fascinated by this. Why do people sabotage themselves? That's always been a very interesting topic for me. I, as somebody who, you know, I, I, I very much believe, which is why I do the show, I think. In part, I'm very much a believer in self-determinism. As you know, I come from a very complicated background, and I I chose very early to not be a victim of circumstance. And I I believe in in choosing one's future, in choosing, in actively participating in the unfolding of one's life. I should say, right? The unexamined life is not worth living. And I, I believe in staying conscious and staying woke the fuck up and not allowing the world to take me over, but to take as much as I can the world by the balls and, uh, and be an active participant in my life. You know, I never understand why people complain about their, oh, their spouse. Like I hate my spouse really because you chose them or I don't have enough money. I'm on a, I am under like, well, well, you chose to some extent, the, the, you know, the job you're doing, why, why did you choose something that would leave you poor? Why are you operating your business in such a way that you're not making money? Um, I believe in self-determinism and, and there is a certain level of like, yeah, I can, I can, I can force my way into this. I can reprogram my brain. I can do these affirmations. I can go to a therapist and do this. And then, but still there's this element of self-sabotage, right? And I, I struggle with it on a very simple level. Let's say the diet, right? I've been cleaning up my diet. I'm on this primal thing and I've been pretty good because I've been about sticking to this diet only because I've tried dieting a thousand times in the past and I would sabotage it nightly, right? I know that I can't have a glass of wine every night 
when I'm on a diet because that's a lot of sugar to have before bed. I, I fucking know that. But what do I do? Every night I remember the sun would go down. Oh, I gotta have a glass of wine. Now I got to do this because like, I didn't have the, the whatever mechanism inside of me, the self-sabotager would override that logic brain of, well, you know, to lose weight, you can't, blah, blah, blah. You can't have this or that. So why was I yielding to the self-sabotaging brain? Why do we yield to that, uh, this unconscious thing uh, when we know we need better, when we know we want better? So this behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's interesting. Um, the book is just called that, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Um, you can get it on iBooks. This is what I, it's just on my iPhone right now. So interesting because it talks about how, at least this is, this is how I perceive the difference between psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. Psychotherapy asks why. Why do I have this belief that, um, that I deserve to be poor? Let's start there. A lot of us say we want to have money, right? This is a big one. Yet we act in ways that keep us poor. And so psychotherapy will go, well, why do you have that limiting belief? It's called a limiting belief. Why do you have that thought? Why do you have that feeling that you don't deserve? Well, it's because when I was um, in kindergarten, I, I wanted two cookies and the teacher told me I was a greedy little girl for wanting two cookies and shamed me for wanting more. And then I came to believe that I would be a bad girl for wanting more than what I was supposed to have at the time, et cetera. And so you go to the feelings of that event and you try to unpack it through the trauma of that thing. And then you look at the rationality and then you kind of go into the cognitive behavioral shit, which is, well, is that belief rational? And um, is it rooted in reality? That's a big one. So a lot of us walk around with these unconscious limiting beliefs that we don't even realize um, around us. And they kind of determine how you act which is scary, right? Because if, if your unconscious belief is I'm poor and I don't deserve money um, because I'm a bad girl, because I'm a greedy, bad little girl, then you will act in ways that undermine that ability to make money. So cognitive behavioral therapy looks at the unhealthy belief, right? Um, I don't deserve to have money and compares it to reality. And this book uses the example of success, which is really interesting as well because it says like... Uh, if I'm not successful, I will be a failure and being a failure is intolerable. Therefore, I must be successful. So let's use the example of like a piano recital and a little girl. So this little girl wants to do well at the piano recital and her mantra in her head is like, I have to do this perfectly. If I don't do this perfectly, I, my parents will be mad and I will be a failure and I cannot be a failure. And of course, what does that do? Well, that doesn't make you perform better. In fact, it's probably going to undermine your attempts at being successful at whatever you're setting out to be successful at because you're going to come at it with what? Anxiety, fear, and you're probably not going to be on top of your game because you're freaked out. And so a lot of this stuff too is about like, well, is it necessarily the worst thing to quote, fail at something? Is it the worst possible thing to not be successful? Well, no, because there's way worse things than not being a success. There's dying. That's pretty shitty. There's uh, living in Afghanistan. That's fucking terrible. You know, there's, um, God, living in 
lots of places. I don't want to say a specific city because I'll upset somebody listening and I hate to upset people for where they live. But uh, yeah, but the the point being that whatever you think is catastrophically bad, mm, there's usually something way worser, way worser that can happen to you. And so that helps you put things into perspective. So now this begs the question of like, well, then the fuck do I do? Now, I'm not finished with the book yet, <laughs> um, but I imagine it's some form of reprogramming the negative thought to be a little more realistic. Like, you know, if I fail at my piano recital, that's okay. I can learn from my mistake and I can do this all over again and it will be fine. And my parents will probably still love me unless they're fucking assholes. They might not, but uh, but it's not the end of the world and I will continue. So now the question goes, well, that's all good and well, but what if I'm one of these people where I can't get out of the brain that's dictated by fear, anxiety, and catastrophic thoughts? And we've all been, I've been there. Who hasn't been there? I mean, I, as a stand-up comedian, there were shows that I thought, gosh, if I bomb this, my whole career's over. My whole life is over. I'll never be a comedian. And never, 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 which is nonsense because no one show can make or break your career and no one opportunity seldom is it one thing in your life that's going to make or break you seldom i seldom i I don't i don't know of anybody who's like well this one thing and then now i'm a total i'm a gazillionaire because one one little thing happened it's usually not like that it's usually positive consistent actions over time that create success not one blippy Um, and even the blips i've seen i've seen people blip and they lose it because they haven't prepared psychologically or um, talent-wise. So there you go. So what do I do? How do I not come from a place of of fear and panic and anxiety when I'm doing things in life? And, you know, uh, for me, it's, it is getting real quiet and understanding that uh, you can meditate. I know, I know. I, I bring it always back to there. But going to that still place inside of you, that church, right? Going to that place, doing your rituals. Maybe it's your... Maybe it's surfing, like what Graham Elwood does in the morning to recalibrate, to connect, to tune into your own motherfucker frequency. Because if you don't tune into your frequency, then everyone else's frequencies kind of bounce around and invade your space, right? I mean, some of us are born with the gift of empathy. I know so many wonderfully sensitive people, intuitive people, and the reason they are is because they can pick up on other people's shit. And a lot of us are very sensitive and we let other people, right? Their energy, they they suck. The little succubus, they suck it out of you. Um, So it's important to maintain your own shit, your own frequency, and then go out into the world, right? Um, Yeah, that and recognizing your, your crummy belief system, which is so hard to do sometimes because it's so fucking, it's hard to know what those unconscious beliefs are. I mean, I think what I did is I, I would go like, listen to what your brain tells you. Like I, I should be in a really, I, I would like to be in a relationship. Like for instance, some people have problems in the, in that arena. I would like to have, I would like to be married. I would like to have a relationship and then hear what your brain says. Like, just be quiet and go, I would like to be in a relationship, but I can't because like I would hear that, but I can't because X, Y, and Z. I'm too crazy, fat, old, wrinkly, ugly, whatever. Um, 
Oh, and what was really interesting in this book too was talking about these irrational beliefs, like when you have thoughts that don't measure up with the outside world. For instance, I have to be successful because I want to be successful. It's making your want a must-have, and they liken it to the weather. I will only have a good day if the sun is shining outside, or the statement is, I want the sun to shine tomorrow, therefore it must shine tomorrow. So when you put your wants and demands in the context of a different phrase like that, like you realize how ridiculous it is to say, I want something to happen, therefore it must happen. Well, yeah, you want it to happen, but it doesn't mean that it has to happen or that it necessarily could, should, whatever happen. It's just something you want. So to demand that the want become real is kind of irrational. Uh, That's what they say. I, I, you know, of course. But then again, I, I struggle with that because... I don't know. I, I'm the kind of person who thinks that you kind of do have to be single-minded and focused uh, to get what you want. But I guess that that's not healthy, right? To beat yourself up when you when you don't get what you want. That just makes you act inappropriately and sabotage yourself, right? Then you, you act out of fear, anxiety, and all those bad places instead of the higher self or comparing yourself to others. Oh, it's the kiss of death. Comparing oneself to other people, which, hello, we've all done that. Um, horror show of existence. Not even worth it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was I going to do? Oh, I was going to read some emails from people. I want to read this. Uh, as you know, I've always been an advocate of marriage. I love, I love being married. I enjoy it. I know that that is not a cool position to have in today's society. Um, And I, you know, and as much as I joke about wanting to be promiscuous in my youth, I really, I, I really don't understand, um, the idea of, uh, you know, recklessly disregarding one's body and dignity and just letting dudes blow loads inside of you because that's what everyone else is doing. And that to me is, um, I know that I know, and I know I sound archaic and like that's, uh, I'm so old, Grandma. But I, I, you know, when I was 20, I really struggled with wanting to be promiscuous. Like, oh, I should be hooking up with tons of dudes. I should be wanting to. And by the way, that's another thing in the cognitive behavioral therapy, the shoulds. The shoulds, oof, that's dangerous because you're saying that you're wrong all the time if you say that you should do something. Mm. But um yeah, the the point being that I I uh, I never got it. I never really truly understood why I should want to just give my vagina to some guy who I don't even know their last name, who's not, certainly not earned my affection or my respect. <laughs> just let let this guy jizz in you. Come on, square. What are you, nerd? <laughs> Um, I had struggled in my twenties a lot with dating and I was just terrible at it. So I think I'm wired for monogamy. Now, do I think that everybody should be wired for monogamy? Of course not. Do I think that, uh, there are people who will do much better not being married? Absolutely. And for the record, uh, I have a parent who never should have been married. <laughs> okay. Okay. A uh, little guy known as my dad probably should never have been a family man. Now, I don't say that with any sort of resentment over it. I've totally uh, dealt 
with these cards. And uh, look, man, he, is he a nice guy? Absolutely. Is he the most paternal of dudes? No, but I don't expect him to be. And, and I know, I know what the deal is, right? So it doesn't fire me up as much anymore to know that, Hey, I th- those weren't my cards. Okay. Um, but my dad and many of you listening might not be wired for marriage and that's wonderful. Good for you. You enjoy your own company enough that you can be alone and be totally fine with it. I'm fucking neurotic. I can't stand my own thoughts. <laughs> I need two dogs, a husband, a kid to keep it, to keep me from me. So <laughs> kudos to you. If that's not uh, your path, um, and marriage isn't for everybody. There are people, the French, for instance, I read some article where there there are married couples who have been together for 25, 40 years, whatever, and they live in separate apartments. That's a very French way of doing things where you can rent apartments maybe next to each other and you see each other for meals or whatever, and then you sleep in separate quarters. Fine, great. There's alternate marriages. There's alternative um, relationships. There are people that swing. There are people that are polyamorous, which we've made fun of on your mom's house. Um, I can't do those things just because I'm really insecure. And the thought of sharing my husband sexually with somebody makes my uh, asshole pucker. and It makes me want to vomit with anxiety. I can't, I can't do it. I'm not evolved enough as a human being to go there, but a lot of people are. And yeah, dude, fucking do that. Do, do what makes you happy always. And there are no rules. It's funny because like, People are always saying how, well, I feel like the rules of society, there are just these rules. And I'm like, well, who, what are you talking about? Who's telling you? I mean, Madonna gave this wonderful speech. She won woman of the year, this award. And, um, if it's on the internet, Google Madonna winning a uh, woman of the year and granted in Madonna's times. Yeah, dude, there are rules. Like women did not sing about, you know, like a virgin. They didn't dress like whores. They certainly didn't talk about their sexual fantasies in public the way that you know, it's a given now that women do that. But what's interesting is she's like, I spent my career being a door. So everybody's doormat. Don't doormat. That's not the right word. I think she meant floor mat. Like everybody wiped their feet on her. That's what she was. Certainly not a doormat. Um, you know, she came in the seventies to New York city at a time where it was horrible. It was horrendous for a woman to want to do what she did. And she kind of poo pooed the rules of society. So now in 2016, you're like, wait a minute. Why? Why do I have to listen to any of this shit? There, who's making the rules? Who's telling women they can't make as much money as men? Who's telling? What are you talking about? And I, in some industries, that shit is fixed. But in my industry, I'm fortunate enough. I, my husband and I do the same thing, and I know what the fuck he gets paid. And then I find out what he gets paid, and then I yell at my agent or whoever the venue. Hey, I want to get paid more. And it's as simple as going, um, no. No, what the fuck? You know, how many women have their own podcast like mine? They talk for an hour and rant. I don't fucking know. A handful of us. Why? Because it's taboo, right? It's a little, it's still a little weird. I don't fucking know. What what am I talking about? The point is, do what the fuck you like. So I get an email. Um, This woman writes in. It's a a long email and I, I don't think I should read all of it. But basically, she's married. They have two children, seven and nine. Okay. And uh, the baby daddy, husband, oh boy, husband's a drug addict, can't get it together. She loves him. Uh, The 14-year-old son 
is treating her like his father treated her. Well, surprise, because that's what kids do, right? They watch how you treat your spouse, and then they do the same shit, especially with boys. Boys treat their mommies the way daddy treats mommy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the father, long story short, this father wants to visit for Christmas. This father who is um, abusive. Hold on. Okay, so my name is the other, mother of three who is married and who I thought married to the love of life, soulmate, man I would grow old with. I discovered about three years ago that my husband was becoming became a heroin addict. I spent most of our savings on a rehab, which he left. Okay. Long story short, daddy's a heroin addict in and out of rehab, hasn't gotten his shit together, hasn't cleaned up and wants to come visit her and the three kids for Christmas. Now, a lot of you are probably in the same situation. I have a POS relative, um, uncle fuckface who is abusive, uh, drinks too much, is a pedophile, wants to come over and be with my kids and, and I on, on the kids during the family and Christmas. But, uh, I, I don't want him to come, but I, but I feel bad because I'm being mean. That's my favorite is that you should feel bad about not wanting an abusive POS to come celebrate the holidays with you and ruin your holidays. So, That's the Uncle Jerry's of the world. Let's start with that. The Uncle Auntie so-and-so wants to come over, but nobody enjoys her company, and she wants to come by and destroy everybody's holiday. To which I say, "Eh, unless, you know, you put down some boundaries. Yeah, Auntie Fuckface can come over, but she's not allowed to do X, Y, and Z behaviors, and if she does those behaviors, she's out. Or we're just not inviting her. (laughs) How about that? And when she asks why you tell her, well, because every time you come around, it's goddamn misery and we don't want you, you know, if you can't keep your attitude positive or blah, 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 then you're not welcome. Simple as that. I don't believe in torturing yourself with people who don't treat you well. Those bananas and this whole idea that just because they're related to you, who gives a shit? I'm telling you, I, I, it fucking does not matter. If they're abusive pieces of shit, they don't belong in your life period. Mommy, daddy, uncle, aunt, grandma. Why? Just because you're related to this person, they have a right to treat you like crap. It makes no sense. So this lady's writing about the, she feels bad because now a heroin addict daddy wants to come spend time with the kids and she obviously loves him and addiction's a very crippling thing. And especially with the hair on, holy moly. I mean, that's, that's a whopper. Is he a bad guy? No, of course not. Uh, is he abusive to you? Look, I'm a huge advocate of marriage, as I've said. The caveat being, n- no, you, you don't have to be abused. You don't have to tolerate people with addiction. That stuff is, that's not an f- easy fix, boo-boos. Addiction, abuse, all that stuff. They need therapy, man. He needs to fucking clean his shit up. My, I'm telling you, if you got kids, even if you have kids with someone that has an addiction, a problem like this, there's no winning. There's no fixing it. They need to fix it. And then, you know, maybe once they're in recovery for a long time, maybe, I don't know, what, what's the rule? I don't know what the fucking rule is. I don't even want to say what the rule is because I don't want to be misquoted, but no, he doesn't have to come. And in fact, It's probably better for the kids to not have this guy yo-yoing in and out of their lives until he is clean and been in some form of treatment for a long time. And I know you feel bad and guilty, 
guilt is the motherfucker of all emotions. The guilt stuff is because you're being kind of manipulated, right? You might, don't you feel bad? You should feel bad. Oh, fuck that. Who cares? Don't feel guilty. Think about preserving the lives of your kids and um, fuck him. Let him clean himself up. <laughs> get his life. Tell him to get his goddamn life. All right? Get your life together. And then you can come back. There's no point. You know, I've had to put the, the halt on people uh, coming over who can't, if you're not clean, don't even come to the door. Fuck no. Are you crazy? Coming over a, a high, drunk, lit in front of my kid? No fucking way. You know how confusing that is for a little kid to be around inebriated adults? I'm not talking about mommy and daddy occasionally have a, you know, a party and a, I'm not talking like that. I mean, on a consistent level for a kid to be like, what, what's wrong with mommy, daddy, drunk, fucking high all the time? It's terrible, dude. It's terrible. If it makes you uncomfortable, imagine how uncomfortable it makes your kid. No way. Get your life. Be alone. Much better to be alone and focus on the kids. Fuck him. Okay. Here we go. Um, Hi, Christina. Just writing in to hopefully get some advice. Been married to my wife for just short of 10 years. And seven weeks ago, she told me that this wasn't working and wanted a trial separation. She moved out less than a week later. I'm a good guy. We never fought. She just wasn't happy anymore. We're cool with each other, but she was the best thing that ever happened to me, and now she's gone. It's hard to deal with this, but I'm really trying to not be shitty. She said she's going to want a divorce. She's a great person and will remain friends, and we share custody of our dachshund, Frank. Cute name. I just feel that was my chance at happiness, and it just left me. I left out a lot of details. We're both drummers. She's British, and I'm American. She has a doctorate, and I have no degree, despite many attempts, whatever, just would like to hear your take on the situation and maybe some direction would help. Long time listener, big fan of you in time. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. She's the last shot at happiness you're ever going to have. And um, that's it. Wrap it up. Pull a bullet in your, uh, pull a bullet, a bullet in your brain. No. <laughs> no. Is she your last chance at happiness? No. Absolutely not. And I know you're with her for a long time. That's preposterous. And it sounds to me like maybe you didn't feel like you were up to her standard. She has a doctorate and I have no degree despite many attempts. It sounds like, I don't know, was it a, an equal relationship to begin with? Was it the right relationship and you never fought? Bully. I don't know. I don't believe in that. Couples who don't fight, that's like couples who don't fart uh, in front of each other. That's uh, very rare. There's secrets, right? You're keeping secrets. If you're not fighting or farting in front of each other, then something's wrong. I mean, not in the beginning. In the beginning, you don't fart. But then, you know, if you're married for like 10, 15 years, you're that deep in the game and you ain't farting in front of each other or talking about shitting and farting, something's wrong, in my opinion. Something's wrong. But uh, no, no, this isn't your only chance at happiness. And I'm sorry you got a divorce. It's terrible. It sucks. But here's what I think about your unique situation, which is quite nice, is that uh, you don't mention owning property, you don't mention children, uh, you don't mention co-owning a business together, or holding you know assets that would destroy your life if you didn't have them. So I think it's a blessing in the skies, if you will, that you can walk away from a marriage with 
I don't know, custody of a dachshund named Frank in question. That's fantastic. You're free, bro. You're free. And by the way, why would you want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with you? doesn't sound like a, a wonderful thing to begin with, right? And I know it's hard at the time to see that perspective when someone breaks up with you or just leaves you. You're like, what the fuck? It sounds to me like you guys maybe weren't that connected in the first place. You know, a lot of times people don't leave us out of the blue. There's a lot of stuff um, that, uh, that goes on before that. Not only that, the, the woman before who's like, uh, my, my husband suddenly became a heroin addict after knowing him for 10 years, three years ago, he becomes an addict. Well, what happened? Did he have an accident? Did he have a mental breakdown? What changed in his life? Things just don't happen out of the blue. There's usually catalysts, there's events, there's things that go down that change people. Traumas that occur. We all know that from the television show Hoarders. You watch that show long enough and you realize that these people are reacting to some trauma that happened ages ago that was never resolved or dealt with. And then they start collecting beanie babies. A hundred beanie babies later. Oh, I still feel fucked up inside because that's what's happening. So I, I, I think uh, what you got is a little wake up call that maybe the next person should be somebody you feel equal to and that you can communicate with and have a dialogue with, or someone that doesn't want to fucking talk to you as much. Maybe someone that's as emotionally shut down as you are. Perfect. I know couples that have been together forever that will take silent drives with each other. (laughs) Take like a five-hour drive and say nothing to each other, and at the end of the drive, look at each other and go, that was a fantastic time, wasn't it? Because for them, that works. Maybe that's the level of intimacy they can handle. And for the two of them, it works perfectly. So I don't know. I'm sorry it happened to you and that fucking blows, but there's someone out there for everyone. And I do believe in that. Do I believe in a soulmate? Eh, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're, I think you match up with the right level of neuroses. I think there's someone out there who has such similar nutbag issues as you that when you meet, it's like this perfect unconscious pairing. Because I will say, I was having dinner last night with my in-laws and um, my husband married his mom <laughs> to a T. Like I am I am Charo and he is his father and that's it. That's what happened. We just repeated. And thank God for that, by the way. Thank God I didn't marry my dad because that's usually how it goes. Like you marry your parent. One of you does. So I think Tom chose me. <laughs> thank God. Thank God for that. Um, so yeah, there's an unconscious pairing. I think that's what's really going on. There is no soulmate. There is an unconscious, um, unconscious needs being met. All these weird childhood things that kind of come together. And there you go. So that's it, guys. I got to go. I got to go see my own shrink. Um, super excited. Lots to talk about this week. Um, yeah. Well, I hope that's been helpful. Please email me. That's deepbropodcast at gmail.com. Um, email me your questions, concerns, feelings, topic suggestions. If you guys have anything you're dying to hear about, let me know. Um, support my sponsors. Thank you very much. And shop on Amazon using my banner, please. Go to that zebra podcast. Dot com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post and do your shopping as you normally would. It just helps kick back some change to the show. And that's it. I'm going to get on with my life. I'm going to go hang out at the mall with my mother-in-law. 
I'm going to see my shrink today. It's a big day. Big day around the cigar house. Um, all right, guys. Be good. I love you. That's the way Louise Hay says it. I love you. Bye. What the fuck was I going to say about that? Oh, shit. Oh, God damn it. <laughs>